0: Hello everybody, this is Mohammed Tahir. I work for the Mercy Care. I'm a community development worker that I've been working with the Many Hands One Heart the supporting group for the LGBT plus people seeking asylum and refugees. Welcome to the first episode of the season two of Mic Drop. Today we're going to talk to one of the members of Many Hands One Heart, Ariane, about her life. Um, how are you, Ariane?
1: I'm all right. Morning, everyone.
0: All right. Um, just basically, um, I know that you got your status, refugee status. When did you get that? It Was it last year, was it? Um,
1: yeah, I think it's already almost two years now. It oh, was in 2019.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, time goes fast when you enjoy yeah. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, well, I, I was there with you in the course uh, and yeah. I was there when you got this status. Just tell us a little bit about how you felt when that happened and what sort of a thing you had in your mind about your future.
1: Um, I was very happy because obviously it's a step forward and I was also very positive about what I really wanted to do. So, yeah, I was happy. Yeah.
0: and uh, You always wanted to do something with your education, further education, because you know, that's one of the things you always t- were telling me, that you wanted to, to go to university and stuff like that. How, how did you manage it? Have you actually achieved anything in regard to that?
1: Um. Yeah. Because uh, when I got my refugee status, like, three months after I was accepted to uni. Because I got it, like, in May, and I started uni in September, mm-hmm. which I was very happy about that. So, yeah,
0: it was pretty much good. What are you doing? What are you studying?
1: Nursing, adult nursing. And in a, in which university are you? Um, in HA University in Omskirk. Uh,
0: so you it is in your second year now, is that right?
1: Yeah. I'm a September 19 cohort, so this is my second year. Yeah.
0: It's quite nerve wracking when you start a new thing, you know, in your life. How did you feel when you went to the university for the first time in a foreign another country that is not yours, and you didn't know anyone? Um, I do, and also, what sort of a financial strain did you have on you going to the university? Was it difficult, or, you know?
1: Um, I guess it was a bit difficult because um as a refugee you don't have a lot of support like if for example you were born in the UK and you knew you had family to lean on for tiny things and stuff like that so it was very much hard for me um but I got through it was hard because I had to find um everything like accommodation everything at the same time and it was pretty much hard yeah financially
0: was hard as well for you wasn't it?
1: yeah it was hard because you get allocated student finance but actually it's not that enough because you mm-hmm. have to think of the fact that oh you just got your status you still have to look for accommodation you have nothing no spoon, no nothing like you have no nothing so um you can't apply for cancel things because technically you're a student And you can't either wait for um, council accommodation because technically they want you to pay for your own housing because you have um, student finance so it was quite hard um, getting accommodation and yeah it was very hard just
0: uh, just basically by council thing you mean housing benefit you couldn't get any housing benefit so you know you have to basically from whatever rent and money you were getting from grants or loan from university that had to cover for you and also where is H. Hill University? You live in Liverpool. Where is H. Hill University?
1: It's in Omskirk. It's a bit far. I have to walk, travel like one hour, 30 minutes. Every oh, that, was
0: a, that was another cost for you, wasn't it? It was quite difficult. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you have to travel like... Uh, every morning and every evening back home and it's hard because to travel if your classes start at nine o'clock I usually wake up like five and I have to be out by six to be sure that I'll be on time because it's almost like one hour and a half from here to um, Omskirk so yeah
0: and I mean for the people who don't know Omskirk you know um, I've been to Omskirk a few times it's not very diverse city so what is no. the university like? Is it very diverse? Is, did you see a lot of people from Africa or in the same color as yourself, or, or what, were you just like you know one of the few?
1: Um, I think I was just one of the few. Like <laughs> there's not a lot of black people. Like you can count from the tip of your hands. Like it's not very. It's diverse, I guess. It's diverse, but not that much for black minorities. Mm. It's very, very scarce. Yeah.
0: And did you get involved in anything regarding the refugees in um, helping other refugees, you know, in Liverpool or in UK, you know, because another thing was, I know about you, you is you're still very committed to help other people, you know, in mm-hmm. regards to detention centres and all that. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that?
1: Um, yeah, I did a small um, talk with um, This World's Most Fall, which is a campaign against immigration detention. So a couple of times we came to uni to just um, share, the, uh, raise their awareness. And most of the students didn't even know if it exists, like detention. They were just wowed, They didn't know it exists. Yeah. So it was a good campaign just to stop immigration. Detention.
0: why did you get involved with that just originally why, what interests you to get involved with the what was it called the, these walls must fall is it what's it called again
1: the yeah these walls must fall campaign yeah mm. um i got involved with it because when claiming asylum i was at risk of detention i actually was going to sign every time and i was very scared i would get um detained and I know a couple of friends who um were detained like for six months or more so it's quite a scary process and I don't think um it's fair enough so I just felt like I have to get involved more. One of
0: your housemates was if I remember rightly she was detained in a detention center wasn't it?
1: Yeah yeah one of my housemates when I was um in asylum yeah she was detained like for I think almost two months yeah.
0: And well, I mean, obviously there was a lot of financial problems, you know, difficulties, adjusting yourself and all that. I do remember then you came to me, uh, asked me if I could do, be your referee or write a reference for a job, you know, in the care home. Yeah. What, why did you want to work? You know, what was the reason behind it?
1: Um, I just felt that I was very much struggling financially and I felt like immediately you're a refugee, you're you're like left in the world and then you don't know which direction to take because you just see oh my god i have to have a house i have to have this i have to have that and obviously i could have been on benefits and been like um staying in the house where housing association does that everything for me but i couldn't have that opportunity because i chose to school first so when you choose to school you don't you're not entitled to any sort of benefits on only student finance and everything so i found it very necessary for me to have a job to be able to have at least a spoon or a cooker or whatever at home, and yeah, that's why I really wanted to do like have a job, like a normal job.
0: And then you got the job in a care home, just before yeah. the, was it last March, just before this lockdown, and or, or was it after yeah. lockdown?
1: Yeah, I think it was around February. Yeah, um, twenty, not twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, I. Okay, just tell us a little bit about it. What was it like when you went there to work? Because, you you know, were you scared, you know, in regard to COVID? And did you have any help? Did did they give you any sort of PPE or masks or anything like that?
1: I think I was quite scared because, obviously, you're putting your life at risk. But you have to um, weigh the good and the bad because... If you don't do that, then we'll do that for you. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was very scared at first. Like the first day I went, I was like very scared because I didn't have a lot of experience. I just had experience from uni, from placements and stuff like that. So I was quite scared. And given the fact that there was COVID, I was like, it's really scary. And I got sent, I remember with my agency, I got sent twice to places where there's there were COVID um, patients. And I wasn't aware of that. And I think that was r- at the really beginning of the COVID last year. So I got sent mm. to um twice, um to two different um care homes. And when I got there, I remember I said, I was like ready to go in. And then immediately they told me, oh, do you have PPE and everything? And I was like, no, I've not been trained to um, know how to do the doffing and the donning of putting on PPE and everything. And then they were like, oh, because this is a COVID um residence um, ha- um, um, house. And I was like shocked. So what I did is that I called my agency and I asked and I told them I couldn't go because obviously they just shipped me in without letting me know um, what was really going on. And it was really at the really beginning. So when everyone was very, very scared, what it was like. very. I
0: I do remember um, when you came back home from the first day to talk to you because they didn't give you any masks or any PPE or anything like that. And if I remember rightly, you you were crying. You 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 were just yeah. scared, weren't you? But well, you carried yeah. on.
1: Yeah. Carried I can't, on. Just because I didn't have choice. I mean, like, when, I just knew I didn't have choice. Yeah.
0: And then you basically university. Obviously, one of the advantages of the COVID was that you didn't have to travel then to, this, to the to the university. You did online. And the university. Yeah. Did you get any other jobs, you know, or any placements that? um
1: yeah because afterwards when i was working with the agency i just felt like um it's worth for me to be in the nhs rather than being with the agencies because then Mm. i know with the nhs is better because you're more protected i know you're protected in care homes as well but it's very complicated sometimes you reach there's no like um law or whatever because you're not a permanent staff so they might treat you differently um so that's why i applied for um bank staff for the nhs because i just felt like on um, for my placements i'm still doing placements in the wards in the nhs mm-hmm. so it's like the same thing working there and you don't have a choice because that's placement mm-hmm. um i know now you have a choice like if you're at risk you, c- you can't work like you can do your p- your placement and defer your cost but um it depends on how what level of risk you are on like so mm-hmm. I just think you don't have a choice at the end of the day because if you want to progress, you have to confront it. So, yeah, I just decided to work with the NHS to have more experience in regards to unions and stuff, yeah.
0: Is this lockdown and online student, what is it like for you? Do you, you know, I mean, obviously you had some sort of um, difficulties in the beginning to make friends in the university, you know. Do you think that's... so you overcome that or do you still have problems? Obviously, it's more difficult because you don't have any face-to-face. So I just wanted to know oh, is your life student life actually, you know, if there is any such think... student life now.
1: <laughs> I just think my student life is the same. Like from now to when we're going to uni, it's quite um intimidating because um you just find yourself in a whole lot of people and everyone is coming from different places and stuff. And everyone is distant, like. Everyone is doing itself. Like I guess most of the people they knew themselves from probably college and stuff like that. So they are in groups. So you find yourself like a little bit isolated on your place. Mm-hmm. And I think the university offers a lot of support, but still um, the reality doesn't always match the what you think. So mm-hmm. it's quite hard when you're a refugee and then you're a black minority and then you have a lot of history, negative history, like from what you've experienced personally. To be able to really make um, attachments, because I guess people don't understand your perspective, like from where you come from and stuff like that. So, I just think it's the same thing. It's so hard to have friends that you need. For me, I just think it's complicated. I
0: think it's probably difficult for a lot of people. You know, to, you know, um, and also I've seen some. Um, I've seen some uh, news about the foreign students that they are also struggling. You know, in universities, you know, like you know, in regard to the. Uh, financially, there is and a lot of food banks are full of the, you know, foreign students as well. Okay, just um, going back to you know your life sort of when you start when you came here. I am um, obviously I got to know you through the uh, many hands one heart. You still going to the meetings? Many hands one one heart. But...
1: Um. Yeah, the online meetings. Yeah. Uh,
0: what do you rec? What do you think is that, um, you know obviously, I met you when you were you know um at a certain time that you weren't really well, you know, in regard to your mental health. How yeah. do you feel that like, you know, how do you think, you know, in your life is in regard to mental health now? And, you know, in regard to things that happens in your life since then, apart from university, anything else that you want to share with us?
1: Um, I think I feel quite um happy now with uh, mental health or anything because I feel very much stronger. And I always think I value more what I've become than what I was before. Mm-hmm. And I know it's due to a lot of support, many hands, one heart, a lot of support around. And I just think that you always have the, 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 the prints like of what you've been through, but you mm-hmm. just have to use it and move forward. So I think I'm much more happier now. Are
0: you on your own?
1: No, um, I don't live on my own anymore because I brought my daughter here. She came through family reunion, I think, family family reunion, yeah. Like, a couple, two months ago, yeah.
0: When was the last time you had seen your daughter before coming here? Um, it was
1: re- <laughs> maybe up to five years or almost five years.
0: How old is your daughter now?
1: She's eight.
0: Okay. And how do you feel?
1: I feel happy. I feel yeah. happy. I'm embracing my age coming to be 27 soon I'm just in okay.
0: all right just a um, few more questions about your future so yeah obviously you know you're studying you're in second year you've got another year left is that right
1: yeah I've got one more year
0: after ah, okay. this Okay, and what is your plan after that
1: I'll probably um um I work as a nurse for probably one year or something and then try and do my master's in maybe um, anaesthesia or something else, I don't know. Just and just live my life, <laughs> probably. Uh, okay.
0: So you're planning to sort of settle down here and you know, you know, live your life here and work here and yeah,
1: here. Yes. yeah, All right. definitely.
0: Um, another thing is, is you said you had some placements in the NHS. Yeah. Have you got any I'm other sure. f- difficulties to finding out placement in other places? You know, have we got any? Because you know. Uh, a lot of times, you know, it's about who you know and you've got contacts. Have you had any difficulties to find other placements in the, you know, like in offices, stuff like that sort of thing, you know?
1: Um, no, not not really, because we get allocated placement. It's just of recently that we have a three weeks placement in March. And that one was supposed to be international placement, but due to covid We've just been asked to find for volunteering somewhere where we can be attributed those hours and stuff. Yeah, but it's difficult to get it because you have to volunteer like in charities, food banks and stuff. But in lockdown, everything is closed. So it's quite hard to get it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, thanks very much, Ariane. You know, it's been lovely. I just want uh, Brittany wants to say something as well. Just okay. come in.
2: Oh, hello everyone! <laughs> I've been <Hello>. hearing, <laughs> I've been hearing all this interview, and honestly, I'm totally amazed with all oh. of this story, Ariam. You know, uh, actually, I just told Emily backstage that I what what I wanted Mo here because he knows a lot of details that I don't know. Yeah, and yeah, it's really, 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 really impressive all the stuff you've been doing. You know, I didn't know the stuff about the the campaigning against the Tension Center, which is something really, really, really big in my point of view. Uh, Because, like, you know, uh, fortunately, we are refugees now. So, you you know, we're not on risk on, on that. But we've been in a situation that, you know, I remember when I went to report to the Home Office, uh i was like with anxious all the time because the way they treat you it's like you feel are they gonna detain me today because you know they, they can detain you for without any reason yeah so they, they can say i you always don't...
1: felt that way too because i used to wake up in my bed and i'm like shivering till reaching the like you feel like you have a hype have to talk or something and it's real like you just see your life flying through you just think you would never come back and it's it's a it's a real big problem. Yeah. I know.
2: So thank thank you for being part of that. And as I said, you know, we know about that. We know the struggle. It, it's horrible the way you feel. And I was also impressed uh about your all amazing job during this pandemic. You know, it's mm-hmm. like completely, completely amazing. And also as a refugee, thank you for being an image and example of that. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. You know, um, and I think this that's the purpose of this episode, you know, like to remember we are refugees, yes, but we also are persons that work that contribute to this society area. Yeah.
1: Know? And
2: sometimes it's it's difficult to read a lot of hate in social media, you know, against refugee. And you know. I got a little bit of fame around it lately and, you know, there are, there were a lot of good comments, but there were a lot, a lot of also bad comments that I read. And most of these comments is like the perceptions of the refugees, you know, like they thought, so this this guy just came and put a wig on his hand and, and now he's going to have state uh, benefits. He's going to be lazy for the life, access to social care and everyone else. But the truth is, we are trying to contribute to this society. You know, that's the other side of the coin. That we, what we really are doing here. And yes, like you said, there are a struggle trying to access to opportunities. But oh, yeah. once we get those opportunities, we get the best of those opportunities. You know, like in so, your but- case, like in your case, you've been fighting against the COVID and risking your life. Totally the opposite of those shady comments on Facebook that they are just in there and they're so fighting popcorn, you know, <laughs> like you are the really real the real hero fighting the community <laughs> outside, not shading people on Facebook. So thank you very much for, for that, Ariane and Thanks. As a refugee. Like I said, I'm really proud of people like you, especially because you're also my friend and I know you. Oh. <laughs> and it's it's amazing, you know, and I know you're being scared because
1: everyone yeah.
2: we being um, scared, everyone has a, a moment with they being scared.
0: So I think if it's just like you know, I, when the first time I saw Ariane, you know, I knew before um through um Sahih House and Shireen that she was not well, she was very depressed, and she was not, you know, and she was, you know, if you wanted to, you know, the metaphor was just a, a bird with the broken wings, you know, <laughs> and she basically learned to you know, little by little to walk, And she's basically got, um, because of the many hands, one heart, the friendship, the peer support, but also a lot of credit's got to go to yourself, Brittany, and people like Ariane and others, you know, because it's a survival, it's fighting every day. And, yeah. you know, what Ariane's done is, um, it's it's basically she didn't go for the easy option. Uh, she basically chose because she, from the day that I met, you know, I knew that she had this purpose to want to do her life better and she wants to be independent and she wants so I am I'm pretty sure that you know you would get there where you want, you know. <laughs> and it's you. just been a um, privilege to to know both of you and a lot of members of the refugee um, community um and people seeking asylum because even if you didn't do any of those things, you know, what has have gone you've gone through to be able to actually sit down and talk about it or your day-to-day life is a is a great great achievement. Yeah. So it's been um as I said, it's been a privilege to actually um I don't call it work, it's just a pleasure, you know, to be with you. Okay.
1: I just think also that um we have to point out the very the most important um thing in this is that um we are refugees, yes, but the word refugee itself has a lot of meaning because we are refugees not by choice. And then we are refugees, we, are, we might be happy here, but I am certain 100% that I would find more happiness in my country if that was possible, because I feel more like it's my roots, like there's a lot mm-hmm. of feelings, memories and stuff. But so just having to let that go is the biggest thing a refugee has to face because no matter how you know you're not safe somewhere, you still feel like why am i not safe where I'm supposed to be safe because that's supposed to be where I'm from so that's what we we have to go through every day and that people have to understand that we are refugees it's not just a word it means you've left a lot behind you you've had to live it not by choice because you didn't have a choice so yeah that's great
2: that touched me a lot like a lot like <laughs> a lot because uh I always tell people that I have a, a massive group of friends i mean in terms of care you know it was tiny but at the same time it was my war my friends back there in my country and just leave them and not be able to hug them to have a a time with them it's just horrible like the way the way you say you know you left everything behind you because you don't have any other choice it's not like it's not something you really like to say like I'm gonna leave everything and going, you know, that it's like you miss a lot of stuff back at home. Yeah. And yet you're trying to do your best here. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask you maybe and um, something related that I say before. It, working in this in, in, in this stuff with NHS, because I'm curious about that. Did you have any struggle or did you have any difficulties like in the way they treat you for being a refugee?
1: Um, I just think they can't look at me and just know that I'm a a refugee. I'll think that I'll look at that um, through more of like being black minority. Um, I just think that one is not about the NHS, it's about like um, the staff British people or non-British people like the staff individuals. Because you sometimes it has happened to me sometimes when I've been to shifts where the staff are totally shit with me. Like you can see it, it's not even hidden, like, or you get you have to be doing the most hard, the hardest stuff, and they leave you to do the worst bit. Or if they know, oh, there's a COVID patient in that isolation room, they'll say, oh, tonight your shift is about this patient. You understand? So it's more about the racism for that one, I think. And it's more about individually, because yeah. I wouldn't say, oh, it's a particular trust or it's the NHS. And I guess it's just the system, because people are racist. Some people are racist, not everybody. So sometimes you get with bad people and there are a few times where I I worked with very nice people that were like very kind but I just think with this COVID because people are scared they tend to um, bring out their bad character comes out automatically even if they don't or even if they are not like that usually. So you reach in the hospital setting and you see perhaps they'll tell you oh you have to do this and then you, you can't just, even if you say no, at that point, it's your responsibility because this patient's life can be in danger and you'll be the one that fault. So it's quite um, intense, but I think it happens a lot, particularly when you're a black minority. And in these times of COVID, they prefer to rescue than them themselves. And this is about individuals.
0: I can confirm that as well, because you're not the only one who said that. I've had a few other people who've been in the care homes uh, and um, they, either they were refugees or from uh, other countries, that just coming here, uh, like US students and all that. And they said, you know, that um, they've basically been told from the first day to go do things without training and all that. That's um, is put them in a danger. Uh, and uh, because to, to choose, uh, first of all, they need the money, but also they're too scared to say no in case. They won't get any more jobs, you know, from agents and stuff like that sort of thing. So, again, that is, you know, thinking going to your work every day and have that sort of a danger. It's, uh, and also it's a discrimination. It's, it's not fair at all. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I've got any, I've got no other question to ask here. I don't know if, if anyone else wants to ask any questions or discuss anything else.
2: Um, I'm just speechless, honestly. <laughs> And you know, Ariane. Uh, I mean, it's like I want uh, we want to open this space to to hear those experience, you know. But like now we all a, a little bit more about this picture, you know, like how you said there's even racist with some person that they prefer to post you put you in risk because you are black, and it's like ah oh gosh, because. Uh, you know, they, they might be some, someone that say, you know, I don't care if this person, it's it's a new, it's just learning. We want to put them on risk. Uh, I prefer to put them on risk that my own life. And it's like, but at the same time you say like, yeah, uh, it can be a little bit shitty that situation, but you have also a duty with the patients, you know? And it's like, yeah. it, you know, it's like that, that moral thing that, that that is like inside of me. Breaking it like, yes, uh, I've been put in this uncomfortable situation, but that doesn't mean, yeah, and this risky situation, better say, because it was a risky situation. But at the same time, you not give up with the patient, yeah, care of them. And it's like, like, most say you're not the only one that say that, you know, there's been a lot of my uh, minorities workers that they say that and it's like
1: mind-blowing
2: at some point.
1: I think it's just about um, ethics. It's just about like morals against against integrity. So um, it's just about when you're working, you just have to decide what to do because at the end of the day, it's yours. You have a choice to say no, but when you are an employee somewhere and you're responsible for a patient or for someone in general, even if it's a child, you have to take care of the child irrespective of um, if you feel like you're not supposed to do that because at that point, it's not about um you, the uh, professional or whatever. It's about the patient or the person that needs help or something. So it's quite difficult. So when you get put in those type of situations, you just feel like you have to still do it and complain, but still do it because you don't have just at that point.
0: Another thing is, is... Um... I mean, um, I don't know about you, you but when you work working for the agencies, if you're off sick, then you won't get paid, you know. So a yeah. lot of times, you know, you've got no other options. You know, I, I don't know if anyone's had like, you know, I, I hope not, you know, had, had actually symptoms of the COVID and gone to work. But that, again, if you've got bills to pay and you've got children to feed and all that sort of thing. That is something that you know a lot of times happen. I'm not just talking about the refugees. That happens to a lot of people who work on the agencies. But then again, most of the people who are refugees, they they are working through the agencies. You know, they have you know they haven't had the you know, either they don't know or they haven't had the what to call it the information. Sort of like you know to you know they've got no other option. So that's another thing is you have got no other option. And I know for the fact that there's lots of times when people seem, you're permanent there in a hospital or a care home and you see the situation is getting a little bit you know you go off sick or you don't turn off to the work or you go and look for something else and that's not probably the case for the part that I just finished now and all that sort of thing. put it out all right um thanks very much um Ariane you know for this and thanks very much for Brittany for the you know arranging this and this interview um I really enjoy that and I thank all the listeners as well and hopefully we carry on Wish you both um, all the best in the future. All right.
1: Thank you.